Welcome to Everyday Monks, the podcast of St. Benedict's Anglican Church in Rockwell, Texas. I'm the Reverend Michael Dean Vinson, the rector of St. Benedict's, and I'm glad you've chosen to stop by today. Now, as a church planner in a predominantly Bible church evangelical context, I see a lot of people coming into the traditional Anglican way from all parts of Christ's church. And for most of these people, liturgy and the church calendar and sacraments and lots of other things that we Anglicans do is new to them. Lent's a great example. A lot of people coming into Anglicanism, traditional historic Anglicanism, have never observed a Holy Lent, let alone been taught what it is. It's history, it's biblical theology that informs it, and like most people, they probably think Lent is simply a time to give up stuff. But for many, and that's the extent of their understanding of Lent. So for the next several weeks, I'm going to develop a story, the story of where Lent came from and why Christians observe this liturgical season, which begins on Ash Wednesday and ends in the glorious resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ on Easter Day. Now, we could call this podcast series something creative like Into the Wilderness, the Story of Christian Pilgrimage. Or we could simply call it The Origins of Lent. I think I like that. The Origins of Lent. So let's go with that. Without further ado, Episode 1 of The Origins of Lent. ask you a question. When is a meal the absolute best? Well, the easy answer to that is when we're hungry. And I think, though it's simple, this is how we can think about Lent. Lent is a time of the liturgical year set aside by the church to make us hunger and thirst for Christ. And the first thing I want to say is that Lent is not a time of works righteousness. This is a great misconception. Because in the end, in the final analysis, Lent is about grace. It's about focusing on the grace of God to help us let lesser things go, to let them leave our hand to make room so that we can embrace Christ. To, as St. Augustine says, we order our loves by mastering our desires. The psalmist says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. So here at the very beginning, I'd like to say this, that we need to let Christ's words guide our Lenten journey. We need to listen to him. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. So my prayer is that this Lent you will be drawn deeper into the grace of God so that you may find satisfaction in experiencing the glory of Jesus Christ, crucified, yes, but also raised for us. So where do we go to begin our story of determining and discovering the origins of Lent? Well, we have to go back to the beginning. We have to go back to the people of Israel. 
Now, the very first commandment given to the children of Israel after their exodus from Egypt was to sanctify the new moon of the month of Nisan for the observance of Passover. In Exodus chapter 12, we read, The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, This month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. So this was the institution of Passover. And the Passover feast became Israel's principal ritualistic feast to be observed at the full moon of spring. Now, Passover also marked the beginning of the Jewish liturgical year. So the Christians didn't create the liturgical calendar. No, its roots and its history actually lies in the liturgical calendar of Israel. And it consisted of a series of historic commemorations associated with God's deeds in the creation and the redemption of God's people. In other words, time was supposed to tell the story of God's saving redemption. Because, you see, the God of the Bible is the God who acts. God acts in history. Worship is always directed towards what God has done, past tense. In fact, prayer often begins with an acknowledgement of what God has done. We see this in Psalm 24, which begins this way. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. You see, past tense, declaring what God had already done. And then in Peter, his first epistle, in the first chapter, he writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, now listen to this, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, past tense, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. So not only was Israel commanded to keep the Passover year, but they also were commanded to keep the Sabbath. In Deuteronomy 12, we find that the Sabbath is related to the Exodus event, God's delivering of the Hebrews from Egypt. And in Exodus 20, we see that the Sabbath also points to the repose or the rest of God at the completion of creation. So within Sabbath, we find two great themes that sit side by side both the redemption from sin and the rest from labor. So in addition to keeping the Passover and the weekly Sabbath remembrance, God also instituted three major agricultural feasts, which became a sequence of additional remembrances of the Exodus from Egypt. So again, I want you to pick up that these instituted feasts or Sabbaths are all connected to the Exodus event, when Israel's pilgrimage through the wilderness and their entrance into the promised land happened. Now, the first of these agricultural feasts, which God instituted, is called the Feast of First Fruits, offering the first fruits of the harvest in the promised land back to God. And then there's the Feast of Weeks, which happens some 50 days later after the Feast of First Fruits, where there would be an offering of harvest, the new grain that would be given to the Lord. And then finally, the Feast of Booths, 
where there would be a remembering of the Exodus, where, quote, I made the people of Israel dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. So God gave Moses appointed feasts to be proclaimed as holy convocations within the people of Israel and within the land that they inherited. And it was through the keeping of the Sabbath, the annual feast and the celebrations of God's people, where they relived the redemptive and saving events of the past, but always with the anticipation of a final deliverance in the age to come. So they did this week by week, season after season, and year by year. So each year, Israel would recount how God saved them, how God preserved them, and blessed them. But everything centered around the Passover feast. So as Christians, we understand that time, days, weeks, and seasons find their ultimate meaning through this beautiful narrative of God's saving works, just as God instituted for the people of Israel. The setting and rising of the sun, the rhythm of that, the experience of that, well, that's preparing us for the resurrection. Sundays for Christians should be many Easter's. And then, of course, the great Paschal Feast of Easter, where we celebrate the Lamb sacrificed for the sins of the world, where he overcomes death. The Christian Passover is the great high feast of the Christian year, as the Passover was for Israel. It is the pinnacle of Christian feasts. So Lent, therefore, finds its origins in connection with the Pascha, or Easter, the Christian Passover feast. Because you see, at the heart of the Christian faith is the belief that Jesus Christ died on the cross. He was buried and three days later rose from the dead. And so Easter is the oldest feast of the Christian church, as old as Christianity itself. And it is the connecting link between the Old and the New Testaments. Remember, Jesus died at the same time as the Jewish Passover. The Passover always fell on the 14th day of Nisan, the first month of the Jewish year. And the Apostle John records this in his gospel account in the 19th chapter when he says, Now it was the day of preparation for the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. And he, Pilate, said to the Jews, Behold, your king. So we can reasonably assume that the earliest Christian community celebrated Passover with the death and resurrection of Jesus in mind. And St. Paul, writing to the Corinthian church in about 51 AD, he writes this, Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore keep the feast, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So, I think we see how Christ gives Passover its fullest meaning. What Passover was always pointing towards, it was pointing towards Christ who is our Passover sacrifice for us. And from the very beginning, the Christian Passover was at the heart of the life of the New Testament church, celebrating the exodus affected by Christ's death and resurrection, from death to life, from the slavery of sin to freedom in Christ. And this is why Easter, like Passover, is the central Christian feast from which all other Christian observances, Advent, Christmas, Pentecost, orbit. So I think we see how Christ gives Passover its fullest meaning, that Passover was always pointing towards Christ, 
who is, as Paul says, our Passover sacrifice for us. And from the very beginning, the Christian Passover was at the heart of the life of the New Testament church, celebrating the exodus affected by Christ's death and resurrection, our redemption from death to life, from the slavery of sin to freedom in Christ. And this is why Easter, like Passover, is the central Christian feast from which all other observances, Advent, Christmas, Pentecost, orbit. Now, I want to switch gears, and I want to take us back to our baptism. Because baptism is the means by which one attains Easter life, or resurrection. Jesus said, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. And then he told the apostles to go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved but whoever does not believe will be condemned. We also read of baptism being the entrance into the resurrection life or Easter life in Paul's epistles. We see in Paul's writings that baptism affects and represents a believer's union with Christ, a union by which the believer shares in Christ's death and resurrection. We see that baptism cleanses us of sin. Baptism incorporates us into the body of Christ and makes us to drink of the same spirit. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her that he might sanctify her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, he'll write in chapter 5 of his epistle to the Ephesians. Likewise, St. Peter, he writes this, God's patience waited in the days of Noah during the building of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were saved through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you. And Titus, the bishop of Crete, writes this, But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Baptism. Paul also connects baptism with Easter, and this is very important. He writes this in Romans 6. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried therefore with him in baptism in death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, By the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Easter is only attained through baptism. Faith expressing itself in the water. That is the beginning of not only the baptized Christian life, but a life leading to the cross which ultimately ends in the glory of the resurrection. Thank you for tuning in to Everyday Monks, and we hope to see you back next week for our next episode of The Origins of Lent.